1208. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, the, it's now, what, what's what's the upper limit? What's the? It's a watch, not a warning. We have a winter storm watch. watch. Yeah, not a warning yet. Who knows? Maybe someday. But right now it's a winter storm watch. Starts tomorrow at 6 p.m. It runs until noon on Saturday. Really, I, there's some lake effect snow that they're, a little, they're worried about. So right now, heavy snow possible. Total snow accumulations, 5 to 7. Higher totals near Lake Michigan. So Friday night into Saturday morning. So yep. at least that's good news because it's not people, we're just not going to screw up a morning mm-hmm. commute is yep. the general rule. Or All even right. an afternoon. So Friday rush home should be okay. Okay. Too. Well, I, you know our, our our colleague, our teammate, Mike Spaulding, just just avoided being publicly ridiculed because he had came came in here during the break and he said, "Well, okay, I, I got to go to the grocery store." To which I I immediately <laughs> kind of lit up there and I said. Be, but he said, no, no, I'm, I'm out of food anyway, so I've got to go do my shopping, which, which I understand. It's Having done this for as long as I have, I do admit that one of my frustrations is because this is Wisconsin. We get snow, mm-hmm. yep, yep. and no matter how you feel about public services in general, I think we do snow really well around here. So I am always just kind of bemused when we, we have a forecast for a, a bunch of snow. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying five or six or seven inches of snow. But the truth is, I, I'm always amazed when you see the people that run to the grocery stores <laughs> and buy all the milk and buy all the bread. Right, and it's, right, right. I, I mean, it's 2019. We have these things called snow plows, and you know, we'll be able to handle you know five or six inches of snow. You're going to be able to get out. You're mm-hmm. not going to starve. Mm-hmm. And mainly through the overnight too, so that's a that's a great sign because then you don't have cars out on the roads. You got, all the plows can do the work there. So by Saturday morning, we could wake up and things will be all right. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember a number of years ago, right before the Packers played in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. in, in Dallas. I, I you know I was, I was going to that game, and we had we had the last real blizzard, what I would call a blizzard that, that I remember. It was like a foot and a half of snow, and that was on. I want to say it was on Monday or Tuesday. I think it was on the Tuesday. I remember I was leaving on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I remember here at the station, we made arrangements. They had, they had, they, they reserved rooms in nearby hotels yep, for people yep. who didn't think that they would be able to get in. I, I mean, I, I, I lived close and didn't take advantage of it. But, but there was, I mean, and it snowed, it snowed a lot. I mean, it hit the blizzard. But the truth was, six hours later, you know, as long as you could get out of your driveway, I mean, the, the roads were, were passable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't necessarily great, but they were passable. And eight hours later, stores were open. It's <laughs> like, you know, you, you wanted to kind of say to people, well, I mean, I understand if you're like Spalding and, and you need, you know, you, okay, you've delayed your shopping and you're making a meal or something, but you don't need to go and buy eight gallons of no, milk no, because you're going to be, be right. stuck there for, I, I just, it, it's, it and does. Don't cancel your reservations tomorrow night if you're going out tomorrow night. All right. Well, that's fine. Well, that is all the other thing. And we, we hear a lot from the hospitality industry. They're saying, oh, well, you know, you, you say that there's going to be some snow and then people cancel and it kills our business and it does. Yeah. Get... All the workers come in. So they have the whole staff there and no one to eat the food. Right. I mean, again, I, I just for all you're talking to somebody who does on occasion criticize, you know, providing public services or stuff like we do snow very, very well. That's that's just the reality out it. Nobody is suggesting you do snow. Stupid things and drive during whiteouts and all, but you know, you're not going to be stuck for three or four days. That's just the reality. All right, we have settled that. 
but keep it tuned. We're going to keep you up to date because I, I mean, I do understand if you have plans like later Friday evening or if you've got, you know, kids that are playing in a youth volleyball game and you got to drive 45 minutes for the club sports, it could be an issue. I mean, I, I get all that. So you want to keep yourself aware of that. We will do that. As we do every day for the first couple segments of the program, we live stream facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can check it out and you can participate that way as well. In addition, um, I am becoming more and more active on social media. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And one of the things I do every day is send out a couple links to some of the stories that we are going to be talking about, including during the one o'clock hour, there's the latest controversy involving what they call cultural appropriation. A couple college kids in trouble for dressing up as Wait for it, tacos. I've got a link to that picture, and we're going to talk about that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. But let's get started again. You can also participate, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. Over the years, there has been an increasing push to legalize marijuana. Wisconsin is one of only 17 states that is currently not legalized marijuana in some form. Now, there are some states that have marijuana legalized, period, for everything, recreational use, medicinal use. There are other states that have only um, allowed marijuana to be legalized for medicinal use. Tony Evers, the new governor, says he is open to, first of all, immediately legalizing marijuana for medical use, medical marijuana. But he sees that as a step. He says, I, I think, um, you know, I, he is open to finding a way towards legalizing marijuana, period, for recreational use across the state. The new attorney general shares that view. That is in contrast to where um, the former attorney general and, of course, Governor Walker was. So now there is going to be increasing pressure on the Republicans in the legislature because we had over the last couple months at the last election in November, there were a number of advisory referendums you had in, in different counties. Now, credit to some of the Democrat strategists, because one of the reasons these advisory referendums, and again, they were just advisory, but they were on the ballot. They were designed to try to produce increased turnout among the the pro-marijuana groups who they felt would be less likely perhaps to support Governor Walker or Attorney General Brad Schilling, uh, Schimmel. And, and, that's, and it turned out that that worked. The marijuana referendums that were on the ballots, by and large, I'm not sure if any one of them lost. They might have all been successful. So now you've got the governor saying, I support legalized marijuana. You've got the attorney general saying, I am in favor of legalized marijuana. You have a number of advisory referendums that say that people support that. The Republicans in the legislature have been reluctant to move to that step. I don't want to talk about medical marijuana because I see medical marijuana as different than recreational marijuana. So let's put the medical marijuana debate off to the side for a minute. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for Wisconsin to move into the future, I guess, and to say we're going to follow the lead of Colorado and California and Nevada and a number of other states, and we're going to legalize marijuana, we're going to legalize the head shops, we're going to tax it, we're going to generate revenue from it. 
Have we now reached that point in history, 2019, where it's time to say, all right, this is the wave of the future. The argument is marijuana is no worse than alcohol. Maybe it's even less destructive. Let's just let people do what they want to do. Have we now reached that point? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment potheads of Wisconsin non-potheads of Wisconsin. I want to talk about it with you. Back with your calls in just a moment. And again, we're live streaming facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ 1216 Jeff Wagner. 1218 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Now I've done it. Rue is producing the show today. Potheads don't like to be called potheads. Why are you calling people potheads? Well, all right. <laughs> Get over that one. 414-799-1620. But, but seriously, Wisconsin is one of only 17 states that does not have some form of legalized marijuana, and, and that includes medicinal. Let's put medicinal marijuana, that discussion, off to the side, because I think there's a different analysis with that. But let, let's talk about recreational use. Is it time to say once and for all, we will legalize marijuana, we will let it be sold, just like you can uh, presumably, you know, you, you can buy liquor and liquor stores and grocery stores. Should we allow marijuana to be sold? Should we license it? Should we tax it? Is that where society wants to be? If you look at the polls and you look at the results of a number of referendum, the answer to that would be yes. Let's start with Alan in Hartford. Hi, Alan. Hey, how you doing, John? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I say yeah, man. I mean, um, I mean, we definitely can use the revenue from it. I mean, you look at some of the numbers that some of these other states made in their first year of selling it. Um, you know, uh, we can use it for our roads. We can use it for so many things instead of raising taxes on a lot of, uh, you know, on a lot of stuff. I personally don't use it because of uh, what I do for a living. But, I mean, you if you tax it and you regulate it and you regulate it just like alcohol, I, I, I say go for it. Let, let me ask you this, Alan. You, you said you don't you don't use it yourself because of what you do for a living. Just right. in general, oh, what, what what do you mean? Are you were you mean you what you do because if you since it is illegal, you you'd lose your job or yes. is okay? Yes. All right, exactly because um I get random drug tests. I mean, this okay, is part of part of my job and. And the thing about it is, they can't prove if you're high at that time or if you're, you know. Yeah, it stays in your system for like thirty days. Yep. Exactly. So I just, I, I just can't do it at all, you know. And I, I, I don't, I never did really like weed, anyways. I tried it as a, as a teenager, but anyhow, that's a different story. But I, I, I would say for like, I want to touch on a um, point where you said that's the way society's moving in. The answer is yes. A lot of things going on in this world. A lot of people can adjust to change, and the world is going to move on without you. And, and sometimes some change that we don't like as individuals. I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and mm-hmm. things are much different now from what it is. But at the same time, I mean, if we keep saying, well, no, we don't want it, we don't want it, that's the way it is, the way I was raised, eventually, after real long on, it's eventually going to get passed because of where society is going right now. Do you think if it's legal, more people will use it? No, I think if it's – well, here's the thing. I think people, more people will use it openly, not scared, because – I work with a bunch of drivers, I mean, old and young, and they're, um, majority of them are Republicans and that's less majority of them are Democrats. And it doesn't matter the political party or your race or anything like that. They, they use it. They, mm-hmm. they, they and it's like everyone is doing it. And you be, okay, so if you get both parties and you sit, sit them down, one thing they can agree on, and if they, even from the referendum, is they like booze. Football and marijuana. That's <laughs> one thing that we both well on both sides of the aisle can agree 
Th- thanks for the call. Al, Al and I appreciate that. That's President Obama's beer summit. It's, it's kind of, let, let's sit together and let, let's have some beer. 414-799-1620. Here's a text. Marijuana. So we are telling our youth, don't smoke cigarettes, don't vape, but smoke all the pot you want. Dangerous area. People are driving around messed up as it is. Don't add to the problem. Okay, 414-799-1620. Chris in Sheboygan. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I agree with your previous caller. Um, I'm not, and I hate to be so so blunt here, I'm not as in, in, uh, intellectually educated as you are, for example, so I don't know a lot of the pitfalls. Okay. Um, I personally, I'm a grown man. I, I raised my family. Uh, my kids are graduated and on doing their own thing. And if I may be so honest, I've been smoking weed since I was a teenager. Um, I don't naturally smoke as much now as I do then. I've got a nine-to-five job. I'm mm-hmm. a service manager. I'm in customer service. Um, I go home every once in a while. Instead of having a beer or a whiskey, I smoke a bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pay my taxes. Um, I've got family that actually live in Colorado. Um, the only problem that they had there was the first year of legalizing. It was just the influx of people coming to Colorado to try legally purchasing wheat. Right. Uh, my sister personally has said that that has now died off. It was the luxury. It was the, oh, let's go to Colorado and buy legal wheat. Now that it's been legal for a couple of years, um, with that influx has died off. She says they've got a surplus of money for education, their roads. I mean, they're falling over, figuring out how to spend this money. That could be then used for Wisconsin also. Let me ask you this. Um, uh, not not everybody who drinks becomes an alcoholic. That, that's actually probably only a small percentage of people. Do you buy the, I, the argument at all that for some people, obviously not you, but for some people, marijuana is a gateway drug that leads to use of, of other sort of drugs? I do in the younger generation. Okay. Uh, when I first started, when I was a teenager, yeah, I'm not going to lie. It, I, it did uh, open up the door to, say, cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, I never put a needle in my body. Um, I did do some hallucinogenic drugs, acid, mushroom, things of that sort. Um, you, were a child just, of, you were a child of the 70s, in other words, huh? Affirmative, sir. <laughs> I yes, got sir. it. Okay. But other than that, once I got basically when my kids were born and I learned that, hey, you got to work, you got to pay your taxes, be a productive person in society, that whole thing died off. And it was just smokable here and there. Okay. It's the biggest pitfall is purchasing illegally. I mean, yeah, it, it bothers me sometimes. And I worry if I got in trouble, my kids would hear that. And unfortunately, that's a choice I do make. But I, I don't see the uh, if I had a heart to heart with my kids right now, if they asked me, Dad, would you object to me smoking weed? Honestly, I'd say no. It didn't do anything bad to me. I'm a hard worker. I worked my way up the ladder from being a mechanic all the way up to service manager. It, it didn't affect me. Okay. No, th- 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 thanks for calling. Appreciate four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. You know, when we have talked about this before, and I will tell you, the the, the reaction. I, I understand where I, I would say that perhaps more than a lot of talk shows, I have a more diverse. People have diverse opinions. Um, you know, on on and I, but obviously. I consider myself to be a center-right talk show host, um, not far to the right, but a center-right talk show host. And I will say, every time I discuss this, the calls are probably, whether it's conservatives or liberals or people in between, the calls are probably about 80-20, legalize marijuana and tax it, 414-799-1620. And the makeup of our calls today really isn't any different than that. Wayne in Waukesha. Wayne, you're on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Real well, thank you. What do you think? 
You know, I think it's it, it, marijuana has been around for so long, and they've been trying to stop it, and they've never really been able to stop it. You know, they spent a ton on you know drug wars, and I don't think it's you know nowhere near as bad as you know the, all the other drugs. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know? But uh, it's here. Other other states are you know making some money off of it, and you know if 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 you can buy it legally in, in this country, and maybe even grow a certain amount for your own personal use, that might you know stop some of the drugs flowing in from, you know, south of the border, you know. Let, let me ask you this. If uh, The same question I asked the first caller. If it were legal, do you think more people would be inclined to use it? I, I think so. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think so. Right. Okay, yeah. then the follow-up would be, if if you have more people that are using marijuana and, and getting high, is that a good thing for society? Well... I, I guess we're going to find out because I think it's going to go through. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, people, oh. people drink liquor. You know, right? They stopped that prohibition. You know, that didn't work out. Right, and it did. I, no. I think I think your you know your faculties are more available to you. You know, being on marijuana as opposed to being drunk. You know, with yeah. Liquor. Um, th- thanks for call. I mean, I get, here, here's how I, I look at it. And I guess I, I, I say baby steps. I, I know I, I said in the beginning I didn't want to talk about medicinal marijuana. I, I actually don't have a problem with medicinal marijuana. And, and this comes from the perspective of uh, people know my, my personal situation. I mean, I, I, I had somebody very close to me that, um, ended up with terminal cancer. And, and I mean, I saw that the type of, of, of heavy duty drugs that, for example, they prescribe for people who are, are dealing with, with cancer and I, I guess I've always felt that well all right given the fact that you know you're, you're giving all these really heavy-duty you know opioids and stuff and appropriately so to deal with pain and all the other issues that come along if if some medicinal marijuana or marijuana is could be made available to somebody like that that could help okay ease the pain and maybe you know r- bring back your appetite or something I don't have an issue with that I'm not sold on the whole recreational marijuana issue. And I guess this is one where I, I don't think the state needs to be in a hurry to do it. I, I understand that the times are changing. I understand that not everybody that smokes pot ends up, you know, becoming a heroin user or things like that. And I understand that for, you know, at, at least some people using marijuana is no worse than having a couple drinks. I, I get all that. At the same time, I guess I am concerned that if you legalize marijuana, that's going to lead to more people using marijuana, and is that going to lead to more societal problems? So I'm very much on the fence. I am interested in the experience that other states have, and and I think you have to give it a little time. It's been a few years for Colorado. Um, I, I think you know this is maybe one that you kind of put on the back burner, not medicinal marijuana, and you watch and see how it all plays out. Just saying. Right now, there's a split. The governor's in favor of it. I don't see the Republican legislature moving on this, so I don't think it's going to be legalized anytime soon, but definitely something to watch. All right. Thanks for participating on Facebook Live. Back with more in just a minute. It's 1229. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Rudy Giuliani. Now, I, 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 I knew back in the day, I knew Rudy Giuliani. I, I knew Rudy Giuliani back when he was, before he was the mayor of New York. He was the... Uh, he was the United States Attorney for the Southern District of of New York, which is kind of a that's you know that that's a big deal sort of office. And Rudy Giuliani was legendary in various U.S. attorneys' offices because, first of all, he was an aggressive 
crime-busting U.S. attorney. Got a lot of respect for people. But he was also sort of legendary for being, what would be the phrase I could use on the radio, a media hog. I mean, there, there, there are stories about, like, Giuliani doing press conferences saying, all right, we've just made this huge drug bust. And we've seized all this cocaine. And somebody would say, what, what's the value of the cocaine? And Giuliani would turn to the prosecutor who was working the case or the DEA supervisor and say, what's the value of the cocaine? And the guy would say, um, $600,000. And Giuliani would say, $2 million. That was just the kind of guy he, he, he was. And a lot of, lot of puffing and stuff. But he was kind of... He, he was sort of the right guy for New York at the time. And he went on to have a very successful career as, as the mayor. And, you know, there was a time not that long ago that he flirted with the idea of becoming president of the United States. That time has passed. And, and Rudy Giuliani, I, I don't know if this is just what happens when people fall into the orbit of President Trump. But I, but I have to tell you, what would be the word that my former colleague Charlie Sykes used to use? Be clowned. Every time I see Giuliani, a guy who I... I, I did really respect for, you know, his accomplishments, especially, you know, earlier on in his career. Every time I see Giuliani on TV, I, I just, I absolutely cringe. He, of course, is the guy that goes out and, I mean, his task is try to, you know, defend allegations against the president. And, and I understand that. But he ends up saying ridiculous things. And, and the latest thing is he... he He's now being questioned about, you know, he's been a very, very vocal defender of the president saying there's no collusion, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay, he's now on TV saying, I never said there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. I I, I said that the president didn't collude. I I don't know if the campaign did or not. Well, that's certainly not the impression that he ended up, you know, giving. And I guess the, the bottom line is... This is one of those situations where I think because he's been so out there and he said so many different things and so many inconsistent things, you you look at somebody who's just kind of permanently damaged his reputation by this aggressive desire to try to defend his client, in this case, President Trump, that it's impossible to take him seriously. Because, look, I, 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 I'm I, one of these guys that doesn't believe that the Mueller report is going to find any collusion between Donald Trump and, and the Russians. I, I just I haven't seen evidence that suggested that that's the case. But for Giuliani now to say, well, I I was always making a distinction between the president and the campaign. Maybe there were some people in the campaign that did collude with Russia. To to me, that's one of these eye-rolling moments. And again, my, my advice to Rudy Giuliani would be, just because CNN calls or just because Fox News calls or just because MSNBC calls, that doesn't mean that you always have to answer the telephone. And sometimes, just if you're concerned about your personal credibility, stay off of TV. All right. I am fascinated to get your result, reaction to this particular story because it's something that might happen to any of us. Where I live, there, there's a couple ponds. And we, interestingly enough, even though I, I live in a, a semi in an urban area, it's amazing the, the amount of wildlife that, that we have. We will see... Deer that will be running across the front lawn every once in a while. We have frequently, there's this whole 
Is it a gaggle of turkeys? I don't know. But there's there's like eight or nine wild turkeys every morning. They go running through the neighborhood. I, I don't know where they hang out at night, but they run through the neighborhood. I can always tell when they're doing that because the dog, my dog starts barking at the turkeys that are running through the neighborhood. Like I say, we occasionally have deer. We have lots and lots of waterfowl, um, you know, during the, the appropriate times. So we also have ponds. And I can easily imagine something like this happening. This happened Saturday morning. The story is out of York, Pennsylvania. It involves a guy named John Stoll. All right, so here's the deal. He he lives, his house is near a lake at a, stake, at a, at a state park in, in York County. He's on Saturday. He gets, he's talking to a friend of his. I don't know if the guy calls him or whatever, but he's leaving his house. A friend tells him that several deer had fallen through the ice on this little lake that's in the state park right by his par- his, his property, and that the deer are stuck in this frigid water. So what he does is he, um, he rushes to the scene. And, and once he gets to the scene, there's some park officials that are there, there's some rescue personnel, there's a couple game wardens, and there, there's a number of, of residents, people who live in the area. And what they do is they decide they're going to try to save the, these deer that are trapped in this, this freezing water now that the ice has gone on. Well, the rescue efforts take a, a couple hours. What happens is one deer dies, a couple other make it to shore after the rescuers are able to kind of, they have to sort of chisel out a channel through the ice for for the deer but they're they're able to save a couple deer so this is the deal the guy says i'm on one side of this lake and i'm there with a couple park people and i'm there with some rescue personnel and we we've done this channel and the the deer come out he said there's some game wardens on the other side of of the lake he said i i'm there he said one of the deer is just, it's shaking, it's shivering, it is clearly in all sorts of distress. So what he does is he said, look, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this deer home and I'm going to try to nurse it to health. Because if we just leave this deer here, it, it's not gonna make it. So he takes the deer, put it, and people are around him, he's not trying to hide what he does. Takes the deer, puts it in the back of his pickup truck, and, and drives it to his nearby home, where he, they, they put blankets on it, they comfort the deer, and they put this up all over Facebook. They're, they're not trying to conceal anything. He and his family, they're trying to nurse this, this deer that has been stuck in freezing water for three and a half hours. They're trying to nurse it back to health. And like I say, they're, they're posting this up on, on Facebook and things like that. So they're, they're making it clear, hey, this is what's happened, and they're getting all these hits and stuff like that. Ultimately, so this happened Saturday, the deer doesn't make it, and the deer ends up dying on Sunday because of exposure, etc. Well, all right, so what he does is he, he then buries the deer, all right? They tried, they failed, we're, we're sorry. On Monday, game wardens show up, and they say, well, um, hey, we, we want to know... You know, where they show up, he's not at home, his stepson's at home. And they say, well, where, where's your stepdad? Well, he, he's out right now. Well, you know, did you guys take this deer? Did you bring it home? Yeah, sure. Look, it's all over Facebook. We tried to nurse it back to health. Unfortunately, the deer passed away. The game warden says, 
all right, well, it's unlawful to take wild game. And we are going to, you took it home, you admit you took it home. What we're going to do is we are going to give you a citation. So they're going to, there's one of two citations they can give the guy. One would be a fine of between $1 and $200. Another would be a fine of up to $800 for taking this deer and taking it home and trying to nurse it back to health. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This story has has gone viral, that the man took the deer that they were trying to rescue, took it home, and tried to nurse it back to health. He's now being cited for doing that, taking the deer. Uh, Apparently, what would have happened if he hadn't taken the deer is they would have either euthanized the deer on the spot or simply kind of let it go and let it try to survive on its own. He said, I was trying to save this thing. 414-799-1620. Let me be real clear here. I understand that you have rules or rules, and I don't think it's a good idea, nor should it be allowed for people to go through state parks and steal steal deer. Okay, I, I'm not, I don't believe that. To give this man a citation for what he was trying to do, that is trying to save the life of this deer, I think is absurd. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What should happen here? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve forty nine, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have learned something. One of our listeners says it's a rafter of turkeys. A not it's not it's not a flock. So when I see those eight wild turkeys running through the neighborhood, they are a rafter of turkeys. Huh. Who knew? In any event, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're discussing the story. It, it happened Sunday, and I, I think it's this intriguing issue. Guy lives by a state park. A number of deer are walking across this semi-frozen lake. The ice gives way. The deer fall in. So what happens then is a multiple-hour rescue effort by uh, people who are trying to save the, the deer. Ultimately, one deer dies. A couple of them are able to get out. One of the ones that are able to get out of the water, it, it's shivering. It's in need of treatment. The guy takes it home, and he puts this up all on Facebook, so he's not trying to hide what he does, tries to nurse the deer back to health. Now, ultimately, he fails. The deer dies, and he buries it. Now they're talking about giving him a citation um, for removing the wildlife. Now, I understand why you have a rule that says you don't go into state parks and just grab deer, but in this particular case, the alternative was apparently to just leave the deer, because that's what the the game wardens were planning to do. They were either going to euthanize it on the spot or just leave it. There was no plans to take it to a veterinarian or anything like that. This guy was, in my opinion, the ultimate good Samaritan, and this is the reward that he gets. Okay, 414-799-1620. Here's our text. Then every veterinarian should be issued the same citation for taking wild animals to their clinic home. I believe uh, here, I believe the folks, the game wardens just wanted to shoot their guns, but this good Samaritan took their target away from them. 414-799-1620. Now, here's the flip side of this. Jeff, the man absolutely deserves a citation. If he would have called the proper wildlife rescue authorities who know what they're doing, the animal would most likely have survived. Now, all all I know about that is there were a couple game wardens on the scene, and they were on the other side of the lake. He's on this. 
my understanding is, is there was going to be no effort made to try to take the deer and, and treat him. The, the choice was we were either going to euthanize it on the spot or we were going to just let the deer go, in which case the deer would have died anyways. This man made the effort to try to save it, and for that, he's getting a citation. Dave in Madison. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Dave. Oh, uh, Jay, it's not Dave. But Hi, Jay. <laughs> I, I'm an avid hunter. been hunting since uh, 12 years old. I'm 60. Uh, I don't really care for the DNR anymore. Uh, my personal thought, a lot of people thought, is uh, they've gotten too big, too powerful, and a lot of it's about revenue. It's almost like you, they sit around a table and figure, what what can we do or what do hunters do that we can find them for? And mm-hmm. The stupid laws that they have, this guy should uh, not be fined. It's just, uh, let's collect some revenue. Well, uh, thanks for calling. Again, I, I want to be clear, this isn't Wisconsin. We're talking, this is York, Pennsylvania, where this happened. But it's, it's this larger premise. I, I, see, I guess I, I agree. I think you have to look at what is going on here. What, what was the man trying to do? Well, the man was trying to save the deer. And he was trying to, at the very least, you know, offer aid and comfort to th- this animal who'd been in freezing water for the better part of three and a half or four hours. So even though he ultimately wasn't able to save the deer, um, he, he at least provided comfort to it and he tried to do something as opposed to just abandoning, abandoning an, an animal that's in distress. And for that, you, you get an $800 citation or whatever. That's what strikes me as wrong. I mean, the, the reality is he tried. It didn't work out. But I do think you have to have some discretion. Now, again, I, I understand why you've got this rule. I'm not suggesting people willy-nilly should be able to wander around state parks and, and grab animals. But this was one of those situations where Everybody understands what's going on. And, and by the way, he put this up all over Facebook. There was no effort to conceal this. So if, if somebody, for example, and this got a lot of attention in the local news, if somebody felt that he was mistreating the animal or whatever, well, you could have gone over to his house on Saturday evening or whatever and said, okay, well, we're taking this deer back. But they they were going to euthanize the deer anyways. That's just the reality of it. So Unfortunately, the deer was going to die one way or the other. At least in this case, the deer died with somebody that was petting it and trying to put blankets on it and trying to warm it up. 414-799-1620. Carol on the west side. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. I was saying to you, Screener, I saw an injured um, deer in like one of the river parkways on the, the northwest side of Milwaukee mm-hmm. a few years ago. And when I contacted the... Um, I went to the DNR and the wildlife rehab people. They all said they weren't allowed to touch a deer because of the um, the brain disease that's going okay, around. Okay, right. And they said the only thing they could ever do in any situation to attempt to help a deer would be if it fell into a, somebody digging out a foundation for a basement, lift it out and put it at the side of the foundation. But they would not make any attempt to to um, treat or help a deer right. at any point in time in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, well, so, I mean, and again, this guy's in New York, Pennsylvania, but, I, I mean, I look at what he was trying to do. I mean, and I, I think the, like I say, the game wardens were very upfront. They they weren't going to take this deer in. They were either going to just let it go or they were going to decide it can't be saved and they were going to euthanize it on the spot. At least he tried to do something and, and save it. His motives were noble. <laughs> you know, it's not like he was trying to sell the, the deer or anything like that. He was trying to do the right thing and for that, you get an $800 ticket? Give me a break. Agreed. Um, no, th- thanks for calling. Again, because, and, and maybe, you know, maybe he, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess I, you're sitting there, you're, you see this animal in distress, and I, I think there's this natural tendency to want to try to do whatever you can do to to help it. And so, I mean, he he wasn't successful. But this is one where, to me, again, it, it's like one of these things that's no harm, no foul. I think it's perfectly reasonable, for example, the game wardens to do a follow-up thing and say, okay, well, what happened to this? And to make sure the guy, I don't know, didn't take the deer and then have it cut up for venison or whatever. I mean, I, I think that's all reasonable. But to fine him for removing this, to me, that adds insult to injury. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we now have a two-month sample size is the hop this roaring success? And is the t- first two months, is that a justification to expand it? And Brigham Young University apologizing after a couple students engage in what they're describing as cultural appropriation. If you want to see the picture, if you follow me on Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner 620 got a link to that story as well. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, interesting story. I don't know if you saw it. Bob Costas, who was the real face of NBC Sports. Costas, he started with NBC Sports in 1979. 1979. So they've had a 40-year a association. Costas is now 66. And, and over the years, if you think about, if you want to think about a remarkable career in, in sports broadcasting, um, now, think of what he's done. He's hosted Olympic coverage 11 times. He was involved in broadcasting the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals, and the Triple Crown. Um, remember, he was, uh, for a number of years, he was the, the face of their football night in America. You know, he was the host before their, their Sunday night football thing. Um, so he, he pretty much done it all. The problem, and he was under contract until 2021. The problem is, he, he and NBC have, have kind of had kind of grown apart. Um, he stopped doing the Olympics. His last Olympics work was in 2016, the Rio Olympics. He stopped doing the football night in America, and he had kind of lost things to do. I mean, NBC had sort of had sort of moved on. He had tried a couple other things. Remember, he had the show called Later, where you know it was at nighttime and he was kind of hosting a talk show. He did some stuff on HBO and all. But, but in general, it, it appeared that his time had kind of passed with NBC and they had decided to sort of move on. And I don't say that in a bad or good way. It's just kind of the reality. In any event, the story today is apparently they have, they, they've reached a some sort of agreement. He's being released from his contract, and I don't know if there's a buyout or whatever. But um, for the first time in 40 years, Bob Costas is not is no longer going to be associated with NBC Sports. You know, once the the, the face of the franchise, he's still going to do Major League Baseball games. He does games about calls about 20 games a year on the MLB Network, and he's still going to do that. And they're saying he's exploring other alternatives. And I don't say this as being bad or, or good. It just I mean sometimes what happens is. You, you can, uh, again, 
people move on and networks move in different directions or or whatever. And I think Costas, I mean, I can understand this. Costas, I think he wanted to do some different stuff, and I think he'd like to reach out and do more long-form stuff as opposed to some of the things that he was doing at NBC. And maybe NBC thinks, okay, we've got this new rising group of stars that's coming up, and we have to make room for them. But I think it is interesting, and I think it's a tribute to a guy, you know, love him or hate him. And I, I think it's tough to hate Bob Costas. You can disagree with Bob Costas, and I have disagreed with him on a number of the, the positions that he has taken when it comes to, again, social issues as as it, in the broader context of sports. But regardless, you have to stand back and say he had a pretty remarkable career. And I don't think you're going to go back and see too many people that, again, did Super Bowls and did 11 Olympics and NBA Finals and Triple Crowns and the World Series, all that type of stuff. A, a remarkable career. And my guess is we haven't heard the end of we haven't heard the end of Bob Costas. It's just going to be in a different sort of venue. All right, I sent out a tweet. On this, and if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, I, I try to give you a heads up on some of the things that are going to come up in the program, including some of the links to the story. All right, the the whole one of the things that a lot of the social justice warriors have become concerned with in recent years is the whole idea of cultural appropriation, even and that that idea being. It might not be offensive for a person of a certain culture to do it, but if somebody who is not of that culture does it, then it it should be offended. All right. Now, it is a common thing in this area and across the country to have events at restaurants and grocery stores and things of like the like of, like of the like called Taco Tuesdays. Gru, you're with me, right? You had Taco Tuesday. There is a there is a grocery store across the street from where I live, and they have pre-prepared food. They, and they actually, a friend of mine, she makes meals, you know, and they have a different meal every day. And on Tuesdays, it's Taco Tuesday, so you can go over and for six ninety nine, they'll make you two big tacos, and you can decide what in it. But it, it's Taco Tuesday. There's a number of restaurants and bars that have that type of promotion. So here's the deal. Brigham Young University, this is uh, last week, they, there's, there's a number of different groups and campus organizations, etc. There's one called the Melvin J. Ballard Center for Economic Self-Reliance, and they're having an event where they're trying to attract students to come. And so what it is, it, it's a Taco Tuesday event. Join us. Join us for free tacos at 11.50 until the tacos are gone. So that's what they're trying to do. I, apparently, they, they want to get the kids to come so that maybe they'll see what this, this group does, and then they'll come back. All right. So that that's they send this out on Instagram. Having the Taco Tuesday event, come show up at 11.50, and we'll have tacos until we stop. All right. As part of this, besides the text... There is a photograph that they attach to it, and it's a photograph of two of the students, and I will describe this. Both of the students are white, right? white college students. They are both wearing taco costumes. I mean, I don't. I, you might say to me, Jeff, what is a taco costume? I don't know how to describe it other than to say that it's a taco costume. It's like... Uh, right, there's like a, a body thing that makes it looks like there's some meat and some lettuce, and they're wrapped around that. There is a shell. There, there. It is a taco suit, I guess. And they are each wearing 
sombreros. And each of them have in their mouth, they have little tiny flags. One kid has a flag of the United States and a flag of Bolivia. And uh, it, it, the other kid has a, a flag. It, it's not Mexico, but it's a South another South, Colombia, I think is what it is. So they've got these these flags in their mouth. They're wearing the sombreros, and they've got the taco outfits on. Okay, they send this out. Well, no sooner do they send this out than this goes goes viral, and some students immediately start complaining about this post, saying this is completely insensitive. This is culturally insensitive because you have the kids, the white kids, that are wearing the sombreros and they've got the taco outfits. Um, almost immediately, the Ballard Center, this is the group, they, they take this off of Instagram and they come up when this is what they say. Earlier today, the Ballad Center shared a social media post that was insensitive. We are very sorry and regret creating the post. Thank you to all who have taken the time to reach out. Your comments highlight the compassion you have for others. We appreciate your insights, feedback, and the learning opportunity. To which, soon as that happens, this then goes viral, and they're getting feedback like this. You don't owe an apology at all. You shouldn't have apologized. This wasn't offensive. The people that claim to have been offended need to grow up. If you apologize for something as silly and inoffensive as this, you're going to let the world control you. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, the idea is cultural appropriation. The two white kids dressed up as tacos wearing sombreros to promote Taco Tuesday. 414-799-1620. Would reasonable people be offended by this? Should they have had to apologize if this were not white kids, but instead were kids from South America, for example, who were doing the same thing? Would the reaction be the same? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Again, if you want to see a link to it, you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got that link up as well on Twitter. 116, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, where, where do we draw the line here? This happened last week. Brigham Young University in, in Utah. There's this, this campus organization that's trying to promote a Taco Tuesday event. Uh, free tacos starting at 11:50. Come to to our 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 place, and so to do that, they have two kids, two of the college kids, who dress up in in taco costumes. I don't know how to describe it better than that. And they're each wearing sombreros, and they put this thing out there. Come to come to us. As soon as they post that, they are immediately besieged by people saying this is culturally insensitive. It is culturally inappropriate. This is cultural appropriation. How dare you do it? And uh, immediately the university caves in and they start apologizing, which has now created this entire other controversy about whether they should apologize. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and here's, I guess, the, the larger question. If you are, if you're a restaurant or you're a grocery store, or you're a bar, and can, can you run a Taco Tuesday promotion nowadays, or a Taco Wednesday promotion, or whatever? And if in order to promote that, you have somebody, I don't know, dressed up in a costume. Remember, they have, I mean, around tax time, 
right on the corner from where there's a, there's a tax preparation place right down the street from where we are. And on, on tax time, they have somebody dressed up as the Statue of Liberty, you know, trying to get 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 attention. OK, well, can we not have that? I mean, if you're a restaurant that's promoting a Taco Tuesday event or whatever, can you not have somebody dress up in a costume like this? And and if it's a white person, can they ever put on a sombrero or is that cultural appropriation and offensive? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff and Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I hope the Brewers racing sausages don't ever make it to BYU because they might be public enemy number one if they did. Well, I mean, let me, let's you know, you're, you're making a point that a number of my texters are where we're they're saying, well, what about what about the chorizo, for example, and the racing sausages? I mean, the chorizo wears that that racing costume that has a sombrero on it. I mean, is that? Is that culturally insensitive? Is it cultural appropriation? If, especially if it's not a person of color that's you know running inside that chorizo costume, I don't think so because they're not being disrespectful. They're not belittling. They're not making look making it look stupid. And I think that BYU is implying that these students are um, unjustly being racist or ethnocentric, and I think it's being incredibly uh, unfair to them and making really just just an issue out of a big. Uh, nothing Rito Supreme. Uh, thanks for the call. Well, look, I mean, and I, I understand that there's things that you could look, I like, look, look, blackface. That, that's, that, that's, I, I think everybody has acknowledged that in, you know, 2019, regardless of, of what the history was and what the intent was, blackface is inappropriate now. It, it's, it's because of the ties to the old minstrel shows and the overtones of racism. Okay, that, it, it's inappropriate. And it doesn't matter necessarily whether there was evil intent or whatever. We, we don't accept that. I mean, I guess I, I don't know when you're talking about trying to promote, in this case, tacos, which are Mexican food. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about here, we're, we're trying to attract this. So we are going to dress up in, in garb that is consistent with, you know, where the tacos are thought to have come from. And, and that's now going to be cultural appropriation. And you can't do it. I mean, seriously, at, at some point in time, don't you have to look at intent? There's nothing that seems to be, to me, mocking the culture. It's just like this is Taco Tuesday. Come on. And, of course, you know you, you know the types of restaurants that you typically go to to find, you know, where, where tacos are on the menu, and it tends to be of, of a certain, you know, ethnicity. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Eddie in Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I think this is outrageous. Uh, I'm of Latin descent. It doesn't bother me one bit. I think it's great. I remember the guy that they used to have uh, selling the nachos out of his sombrero, and oh, yeah. he got away with that. He made a, he made a fortune doing it. But what are we going to do? Are we going to outlaw St. Patrick's Day for everybody dressing up like leprechauns now, or what? Well, well, I mean, right, exactly. I mean, should should people? Is that going to be cultural appropriation if everybody wants to be Irish on on you know on St. Patrick's Day? And I guess, see, I'm with you, Eddie. I think you have to look at the intent. Is it possible to do something in a fashion that's clearly intended to be you know racist? Absolutely. But I, I don't know, trying to promote a Taco Tuesday night and, and dressing, it, it would be kind of like if, um, okay, well, I'm German, so that might be a bad example. But around Oktoberfest, if you have people who aren't German who dress up in lederhosen, for example, and, and try to <laughs> right. and, and try to encourage people to come eat sausage, is that cultural appropriation? <laughs> Should we be offended? 
No, well, you see it at the beer garden. You see it at the beer gardens all the time. Hey, well, exactly. I mean, and thanks for the call. I mean, and that's that's the idea. I mean, if is is this where we're at nowadays? That uh, and that's I think probably a pretty good example here. All right, we're having um, we're having an event where we're serving free bratwurst. Well, okay, if if you're going to if you're going to dress up in the lederhosen or some of the traditional German garb, don't do that unless you're German because it's going to be cultural appropriation. I think you have to look at the intent. Karen in New Berlin. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, first, just so you know the type of person you're talking to, I am a liberal Democrat, um, just because some people might want to know. However, Thank you for listening, Karen. I Actually, yeah. I have a lot of liberal Democrats, believe it or not, that listen to the show, and I appreciate you all. I love your show, and I like to hear all different points of view. And I want to tell you that I see absolutely nothing wrong with the sombrero or dressing as a taco, and I pointed out to the screener that really only a bigot would feel that way because you're saying you think there's something wrong with the culture or the sombrero, and there simply is not. It's a sign of a beautiful culture and their food, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I also want to point out there's nothing wrong with the Statue of Liberty yeah. in Milwaukee yeah. because I'm also a woman, and yeah. uh, she stands for right. beauty and freedom, and I right. do not find offense with that, and I think people are getting way too sensitive and kind of looking for a fight. Well, yeah, and, and so. I, my guess is, Karen, if, if you had a friend, for example, who said, you know, we're, we're having this event and we're, we're cooking a whole bunch of bratwurst and stuff, and could you help us out, and we'd like you to dress in traditional German garb, and, and I don't know if you're German or not, but you wouldn't be offended. you say, no, I'm, this, this is what the nature of the event here is, and I'm, I, I'm just doing this because this is the feeling that we are trying to create. Um, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say, oh, I can't do that because some German person might be offended by it. There's no intent there at all. You know, you're correct. Because if my German friend asked me, even though I'm not German, I would do it to honor his culture. And I think you should be proud of your culture, no matter what it is. And there is a huge difference between something, you know, making fun of right. a culture and, and just having fun and honoring it. And there's nothing wrong with a sombrero or a taco. I could go for one right now. <laughs> Karen, thank, <laughs> thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Join us anytime. Thanks for, thanks for listening. I guess that's my point. Now, look, I understand that there are, there are costumes, for example, that you could wear, which could be, you know, could be racist or or whatever and i mean i i get it but i think you have to look at what's going on and i guess i'm just wondering where this cultural appropriation type of thing stops and and th- this idea that well okay you know you you can't do this or people are going to be offended i i think sometimes you need to dial it back and some of the social justice warriors out there need to recognize that there really is real racism in this world and when you see that real racism you condemn it but you don't try to manufacture stuff. And again, this is another one of these issues that to me, and I appreciate Karen calling in saying, I'm a liberal Democrat. It's not a, it's not a political issue. It's not a conservative versus liberal or Republican versus Democrat. It's just a, a sort of common sense issue because my guess is Republicans go to good restaurants for Taco Tuesdays and liberals go to restaurants for Taco Tuesdays and maybe we can all, all agree over a cerveza. It is 127. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
with, with all these different social media outlets around now, I, sometimes I, I, I get obsessed with my newest bright, shiny toy, which, which my New Year's resolution, lots more posts on Twitter. And, you know, people are starting to follow and check that out, and I appreciate that. It's at Jeff Wagner. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And now we're back to doing the Facebook Live. You know, first half hour show of every program is uh, going to be broadcast. It's face live streamed on Facebook.com. But I, I've also forgotten about one of my favorite ways to help you connect with the show, and that's podcasts. And um, I know there's lots of people that just subscribe to the podcast. We've got a new WTMJ app. You go to WTMJ.com and click on the app, and it makes it really, really easy, and my producer, Gru, goes through a lot of work every day after 3 o'clock getting that podcast up. I'm giving you a pre- – well, you're saying it's not that much. No, it is a little bit of work for you to do that, isn't it? Yeah. He says it's a little bit of work to do that, so let us reward Gru for a job well done, and you can go and subscribe to the podcast. And I, I'm always amazed. I run into people who – well, every once in a while what will happen is in the middle of the night – There will be an email or there will be a text or something, the text line. It will be people who are reacting to something they've heard on the show. And I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting that somebody is reacting to this at 1.30 in the morning. But then it occurs to me they're listening to the podcast. Now, what they're listening, doing listening to the podcast at 1.30 in the morning, that I don't know. But but regardless, they're they're responding. And I, I think that that's absolutely tremendous. So you can check that all out, the podcast page as well. I have um, – it's no secret I am skeptical of polls, and, and I think that in the twenty in the 2018 midterm election, I think the polls I, I in, by and large got it right. But that's after getting it wrong in 2016 and 2014 and 2012. It, it's just – it's a tough environment to poll in under the best of circumstances. However – so I always encourage people to be skeptical of polls. The one type of thing that you should really be skeptical of, though, is the online polls. You know, it's one thing when you have a poll conducted by a polling firm and there's methodology and they're trying to scientifically determine who they're going to poll. That's hard enough. But when you see like an Internet poll years and years ago. We used to do a couple of those for my show and for Charlie's show, I think. And and we just decided, you know, we'd we'd have polls and and then we'd ultimately decided it just wasn't worth it because, you know, what what you would have, especially if you don't want to spend the uh, go through the effort of like screening out multiple sort of people, you'd have the same person that would sit there and they would answer this thing. And it would just it was completely and totally useless as far as trying to be an indicator of public opinion. So if you ever see one of these online polls, you want to be extremely skeptical, which brings me to the story. Michael Cohen, who, of course, was the attorney in the Donald Trump orbit before he was was President Trump. And uh, I mean, the one thing I will say, and, and this comes from the perspective of somebody who is a recovering attorney, um, Michael Cohen is a sleaze, just a complete and total sleaze. And I guess it is fair to say, well, what what does it say about Donald Trump that the two of them found themselves in each other's orbit? I mean, that's just that's the type of thing. Michael Cohen, candidly, is the type of attorney that Donald Trump businessman would probably reach out to to do the stuff that more respectable attorneys wouldn't do for you. So so candidly, I think both of these guys kind of deserve themselves. And now. You know, it's the relationship is broken bad. Cohen is looking to go into jail for things. And you've just got, again, this very difficult relationship between the two of them. Well, well, Cohen is out there apparently. And and I don't think that there's any contradiction of this. Back 
in 2014 and 2015, Donald Trump, at least allegedly, went to Cohen to try to have Cohen or I mean, I don't know. I guess that's not fair. Don't know where this idea came from. But Cohen ended up trying to, quote unquote, rig a couple of these public polls that were being conducted with regard to Donald Trump. Now, I mean, it's difficult to say rig in this sense because it's not a crime to do this. These are these these open polls that anybody can participate in. So, I mean, it's not like you're trying to rig an election or anything like that. The first one was in 2014. Apparently, there was a, a poll on CNBC, an online poll, asking people to list the top American business leaders. Now, this is January of 2014. And then in 2015, February of 2015, apparently the request was the Drudge Report had, again, an online poll asking people to choose who they wanted to be the Republican presidential nominee. This is February of 2016 when Donald Trump is just emerging as a candidate. So at least according to the allegations, Cohen goes to a guy named uh, John Gauger, who is the owner of something called Red Finch Solutions and the chief information officer at Liberty University. And apparently, I mean, the story is Cohn offered Gauger $50,000 to manipulate two news sites' polls. Um, and I, I think the thing was, Gauger claimed, I've got, this, I've got this computer program and it can generate all these different votes for Trump. And the, the agreed-upon price was $50,000. Now, the story... It gets even weirder because, according to the this Gogger guy, he says that he was offered $50,000 and he was given a Walmart bag loaded with about $12,000 in cash during a 2015 meeting at Cohen's Trump Organization. Um, Cohen also threw in a boxing glove he said once was worn by a Brazilian martial, mixed martial arts fighter, but he never paid Gogger the balance of the 50 grand. So the allegations are they'd cut, they had cooked up this deal to manipulate these things. According to Gogger, he was paid a bunch of cash in a Walmart bag, but was stiffed about $38,000. But he did get the boxing glove from the mixed martial artist. Um, Cohen, for his part, is now acknowledging that he made payments, uh, but he said, well, I, I didn't pay him in cash. I paid him in a check. All right. <laughs> what, what a bizarre sort of thing. But here, here's the bottom line, and this is the gang that really couldn't shoot straight. Now, keep in mind that the deal is we're going to give you all this money, and you're going to manipulate these online polls. Well, you want to talk about just peeing money down a rat hole. Here, here's the deal. The 2014 CNBC poll on the top American business leaders, and the deal was we're going to give you this money, and you know you're you're going to get Trump high numbers. Trump didn't even break into the top 100. Okay, so then February of 2015, you've got the Drudge Report again. It's this public sort of poll, potential Republican presidential candidates. You're paying this guy money to again use this fancy program to manipulate the votes and put in all these votes for Trump. He came in fifth with five percent of the vote. So not only is it a stupid and ham-handed plan to begin with, but they can't even execute it. So whether it was fifty grand or twelve grand. 
it was not money well spent. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in this meeting where you're talking about, first of all, who cares in one of these sort of online polls where anybody can participate? Who thinks it's a good idea to spend money on something like this? That's number one. But number two, I'm trying to picture you're at this meeting and you have this lawyer slash fixer passing you a Walmart bag with 12 grand in cash in it. And it's not the whole 50 grand. I'll get you the rest of that money later. But in the interim, I, I also threw in a glove from a Brazilian mixed martial artist. You know, it, it, in some regards, you know, if you wrote this up as a story for um, House of Cards or for some of the other movies that are out there, people wouldn't believe it. Michael Cohen, back in the news, and whether it was 12 grand or 50 grand, not really money well spent. I wonder how big a bag you have to have from Walmart to put 12000 bucks in. We're back with more in just a minute. It's 143. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 147. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. The hop. The downtown streetcar that really right now doesn't go very, doesn't hardly go anywhere. Um, it's been in operation for a couple months, and there, there's new numbers out. Now, th- th- they released numbers in November that showed that the average ridership was a few hundred riders ahead of what their predictions were. Now, I, I want to be fair. One of the first things I said was the... You had to be careful with these numbers because they included that opening day weekend and they had this huge, I mean, thousands of people, because it was the new bright, shiny toy, came down and and rode it on opening day weekend. And that that artificially kind of inflated the numbers. Now, again, to be fair, those were people that rode it. And I understand when you're looking at attendance at a Brewers game, for example, you don't say, well, we had 45,000 on opening day and we had 25,000 the next. Well, 45,000 and 25,000, that's, let me see, carry the one, that's 70,000 divided by two. That's an average attendance of 35,000. And, and I get it. That's how you report it. You don't say, well, we're not going to include opening day because that's always something special. So they, they rolled in the, that first weekend's numbers, which I think artificially inflated the number of of average daily riders. So here's what they say. The second full month of operation, the average daily ridership was 2,453 people. That's the average daily ridership. The hop gave a total of 76,044 rides in December compared with 76,125 rides in November. And again, everybody understands that that November number somewhat skewed by the opening day ridership. So December 15th, biggest single day ride in December, 4,800 riders. So they're saying, all right, you know, we predicted uh, I think the number was like seventeen or eighteen hundred. You know, we're, we're holding true even with some of these big, one or two big days. We're holding true with with a daily average of somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty four hundred riders. All right, these are good numbers. Does this show that people are are really ready to embrace the hop? All right, our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now I, I want to. I want to be fair here. I have been a critic of this. I think this is a huge, I think ultimately it's going to be a huge white elephant. I, 
and I don't understand how it is going to be used. But these are these numbers. Is this this incredible success? Do we need to re-examine the hop, and do we need to say, okay, well, maybe these first two months, this is a justification for now saying, let's spend a bunch more money, and let's run it to other places. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there is a couple things that I am still skeptical of which is one first of all it's the novelty factor my lovely and charming wife said i want to ride the hop and i said okay well like why she said i don't know i just i just want to see what it's like and i said well you know tell me what we're going to do said well we're going to drive to where it starts and we're going to get on it we're going to ride it to the end and then we're going to turn around we're going to ride it back it's free you know it it, why, why don't we do this and I, I said, well, okay, we can we can do that as, as something to do, but you know, once you do that once, you know, I mean, I, I it's a it's a streetcar, okay. I mean, once you do it once, I, I don't see this as being like a huge entertainment option. But I mean, I, I understand there is that novelty factor, so I'm sure that some of those daily rides are people saying, okay, let's get in there and let's let's just kind of try this out. That's a spe- I mean, somebody was telling me the other day that they had there was a retirement community and they had an outing to go ride the hop. Oh, okay, well that that's that's fine. I I mean I don't imagine that it's going to be a regular thing. I said, did you know did, did they go somewhere? No, no. They they went to where it started. They rode it to one end, turned around, got off, got back on another one, and came back. Oh, okay, so I think there's a novelty factor. It's also um, it's also free, and and that it, it, the rides are being underwritten by you know, Potawatomi Casino. So. It, again, it, it's it's something you can like try out, and you can have fun, or you can do whatever, and it doesn't cost you anything. I guess the other question is, once people have to start paying for it, is that going to change the dynamic? If people are going to have to start paying for it, it's um, my understanding is it's going to be like almost like a voluntary thing. There's not going to be somebody who's taking fares. It's not like a bus or a train where there's somebody that comes down and collect tickets, it's going to be more like, well, you're expected to put a dollar in the bin or whatever, but there's not necessarily going to be anybody requiring you to do it. But all right, all right, is this a success? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're first. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Um, Jeff, I'm encouraged by the numbers. Uh, We're talking November and December, which are basically winter months. I have a hunch when summer comes... And you have the ethnic festivals, summer fest, Bastille days. The numbers are really going to explode. Uh, well, especially once once they get the. I, I'm trying to figure. Out, I don't think. I don't think the expansion down to the lakefront is going to be ready this year. I could be wrong on that. But but well, clearly, I mean, during the summer, it's easier to be outside and to wait for this and all. Do you think that right now it's justification the the two months that we have is that a basis to say okay let's let's make this commitment even though we don't have federal money let's let's make a commitment to trying to run it to um, to for example Fiserv. Well, I, I think you've got to be proactive in this, and you know certainly um, you're right they don't have federal money, but there's no problem with uh, internal planning by the. Uh, city engineering department and jeff one other thing you mentioned the november numbers included opening day weekend i have a story from james nelson in the journal sentinel that was written in mid-december he says the average daily ridership for the month of november was 2300 rides that figure excludes 
the opening weekend when the hop gave 16,000 rides. The everyday, well, here's, here's the full number. The average daily ridership in November 2,297. What was your number that you had? I, I said 2,300. I yeah, was rounding right, it right, up. Right, yeah. Average daily ridership. But um, now thanks to call. But I, I don't, that doesn't exclude that. I mean, the, the average daily ridership, 2,300 rounding up in November. But that, I think that includes at least the story i'm looking at by nelson that includes that that big weekend that that big opening weekend but regardless i mean i i you know 2200 rides in november um the average is like 2400 now so people people are are trying it out what we don't know is of course whether it's a novelty factor that that's kicking in like i say there's there there's all sorts of people including my wife let's go ride it okay it's something to do it's free um, is that different than people really using it? 414-799-1620. And, and once the novelty wears off, will people continue to ride it? Uh, Lamar, who is calling us from sunny Orlando. Hi, Lamar. And it is sunny, Jeff. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. What do you think? So I, I've said this before. Um, when I work for the, the transit, well, the big the union lobbyists and stuff, I push for this big time. Um, a few things that you pointed out in your show that that will make this. That I call, well, first of all, I said if it's planned correctly, it will work. Number one. Number two, with the parking issues and the fact that they price guys that you talked about will actually benefit. Uh, you know, this once it's expanded and, it, and it, you know, like the Bucks Arena and all the, the new convention center, all those things are connected. That'll that'll actually you know kind of help with that as well. And in the winter months, when it's cold, that people have to park, you know, far away from these venues. They don't have to walk. They can use. And of course, in the summertime, you know, Milwaukee lights up downtown uh, mm-hmm. by the lakefront. So I think again, if it's planned correctly, even when they start charging, because it won't be that much. I, I, a buck. I think they're looking at a dollar. Yep, that won't that won't change anything. But again, the planning is key. It has to be. It has to connect people to where they want to go. And we're, considering that Milwaukee's downtown is like there's not many spaces to park. With you know, with all this the new stuff that's being built, this will be it'll be it'll be it'll be worth it. Well worth it. At least that's my my prediction. Well, I mean, thank, thanks, and, the, and the, the jury will in fact you know be out on that. I mean, right now it, it doesn't go anywhere. That that's yeah. Again, it goes you know it, it goes from the bus depot up to the the lower east side. Now I, I do concede that. In the summertime, if you want to use it to get to Bastille days and things like that, it 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 might be appropriate. I, I guess I think that I continue to believe that this is going to end up being a a white elephant, and I continue to believe that once the novelty of this wears off, you know, people are going to start saying, "Well, it's not going anywhere. Why do we need to use this?" Especially since Milwaukee is still reasonably easy to drive around. This isn't like some huge urban area where you can't drive and you can't find parking, although Lamar is absolutely correct that you have people that are gouging for all this stuff. Um, Let's talk to Chuck in Wauwatosa. Chuck, you're on WTMJ. Hello? Hi, Chuck. You're on the air. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've got two thoughts on it. If they keep it at the present level, which is free, I think they should wait before they decide to put more money into it to see what happens after it's no longer free. Right, so you but, think the fact that it's free is skewing the ridership. Exactly. And the other thing is, there, even after it starts getting paid, it's all a voluntary. 
Uh, I hate to say it, but there's going to be a certain percentage of people who will just ride for free. Oh well, yeah. I mean that. I mean, thanks. For, that that is the other reality, and and that that is one of the things that's going to happen. There, there's not even if they start charging. At least my understanding, and I'm willing to be corrected, but my understanding is there's not going to be somebody there collecting the money when you get on. It's going to be more like a a, a honor sort of system, or maybe like a haphazard catch as you can sort of system, because the, the operator is not going to be doing it. The operator is driving the thing, so it's not like a, a train conductor who goes around and takes your tickets, or the bus driver who expects you to put the money in the fare box. It's not going to be like that. I think they're just counting on public pressure that everybody will pay the dollar we'll see how that plays out but i mean fair is fair i am not a fan of this i am a skeptic of it but i'll i'll give acknowledgement at least you know for november and december for whatever reason ridership is is decent and that's you know in the winter months we'll see how it pans out in january and february 158 jeff wagner wtmj 209 jeff wagner wtmj before we move on from the trolley i i was swamped with text messages and it is kind of refreshing to understand that many of you are more cynical than, than i am we were talking about how the city says that the ridership is larger than they expected for the, the trolley and all this great stuff let me share a couple of texts jeff i work at the downtown post office i am a smoker so i am outside a few times during second shift I see the trolley. It mostly moves air. Um, let's see. Ask people who spend time downtown. There's another one. I work there in downtown. I never see people on the trolley. Who are these numbers coming from? The city and the mayor's agenda or on expansion and legacy? Uh, let's see. Another text. Of course people ride it for free. That doesn't make it successful. It'll cost millions of dollars, um, and it can't support itself. Uh, let's see. Dana says, I believe it's still going to be a flop. I think numbers were high because one, it's novel. That, that's, that's true. Let's, let's take the retirement community. Let's all go ride it. Number two, it's free. Three, it's Christmas and the downtown parks were beautifully lit and it stopped at them. And then, um, Justin says there's at least one local tour company that uses the hop as a bar crawl vehicle. Well, okay. At least we're putting it together to, to some use. Uh, another text, what you need to do is wait until there are the numbers after they start charging people to ride on it. Then that will be accurate. Um, another text, uh, let's see. How are they counting every rider? You're not able to pay for press any button when getting on the bus. These numbers seem to be incredibly inflated to me. Now, again, I, I, I'm just taking the mayor at his word because Lord knows we, we wouldn't expect like politicians or government officials to inflate numbers to try to, you know, present a point. So, you know, we'll, we'll assume that. But I think it is kind of, it is an interesting thing. If you don't take tickets, how do you actually keep track of Who's who's riding it? And I, I've always assumed that the, these are rides, not distinct riders. So, for example, if my wife can convince me that we really have absolutely nothing to do on a given day, so we drive down to the bus depot, pay money to park my car, and then ride the trolley back and forth, my assume, I assume that because there's two of us, two times two, four, that would count as, as four rides. So I we'll see. We'll see, but the early numbers are what they are. All right, 
Unfortunately, we could not go through the entire program without talking about the the federal shutdown. If you are a regular listener, you know that I my reaction is just a pox on everybody's house. I, I find this to be just incredibly frustrating. And I don't care whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or conservative or liberal or you love Donald Trump or you hate Donald Trump or you love Nancy Pelosi or you hate Nancy Pelosi. Th- this whole thing to me is no way to run a railroad. It, it's it's just not. And and this there is an easy solution to this government shutdown, which is that you go in and, and, and you, you settle in the middle. President Trump, he, he wants $5 billion to help build a wall. Lots of Democrats ha- have supported building walls as part of border security in the past. You go in and you say, we're going to give you $2.5 billion, or we're going to give you $2 billion. And Trump says, okay, that's not what I want, but I'll take this. And then, you know, you sign things and, and you go. That That's number one. Number two. While this is going on, and I said this yesterday, I think it is immoral to expect people to work without being paid. I I, I just do. It's one thing for the federal workers that are on furlough. They're being laid off. They can apply for unemployment. And I'm not trying to minimize what they're going through. But the people that are told that they have to come in and they have to work – I believe that they deserve to be paid. And I think this is, again, a thing that Republicans and Democrats and the White House should agree on. Though federal workers that we consider to be essential, that we are requiring to come in, they should be part of a standalone bill which pays them for the work that they are doing. Just like it would be illegal, if you're in the private sector, for your employer to say, hey, I expect you to work and I'm not going to pay you. Well, I, I think... It, I, I think federal employees should be entitled to the same thing. And I understand that there's a different law that covers federal employees, but I just think it's wrong to expect people to come in and work and, and not be paid in a prompt fashion, even even if you know that they're ultimately going to be paid. That doesn't help you when you're living paycheck to paycheck and you've got you know a kid's college tuition that is, is due and you've got your mortgage payment, you've got your car payment. If you are working, I think you deserve to be paid for that. All right, which brings me, so I'm frustrated with this whole thing. I, I just think it's it's incredibly dumb, and it is an example of, of just the dysfunction that exists in Washington that knew, number one, can't get this whole thing resolved. Because at the end of the day, all right, the, the, the president, he needs, he wants to, money to build the wall, give him some money. But the Democrats don't want to do that because they don't want to be seen as giving in. President Trump, he doesn't want to be seen as giving in. And so we we have this complete and total mess that goes on and on and on. But there there is kind of an interesting sidelight to this. And, and I want to talk about this aspect with it. There are the various federal employees who are told that their jobs are essential, that, that you have to come in. And the, the reality is, for example, TSA, TSA agents are not being paid, but, but, you know, they are expected to work. Now, the law says that, that they have to. The, they have no right to strike, so that they, if they sort of walk off the job en masse, they, they would be eligible to being fired. But like, but here's the example. For example, if if the TSA workers collectively decided we're not going to come into work, all right, you would cripple aviation across the, this country. You would significantly impact, you know, air travel. And if you do that, I, I guarantee you, within two or three days, there would be political pressure brought to, to resolve this thing. 
On Wednesday, the TSA reported that the national rate of, this is as of yesterday, their unscheduled absences, that is people calling in sick, was 6.1%. That's up from 3.7% the same day a year ago. But, I mean, it's not up dramatically. I mean, it's not like 10, 20, 30% of TSA workers are calling in sick. Now, if there was a concerted job action to walk off the job, President Trump would be within his rights, just like Ronald Reagan did when air traffic controllers went out on strike, you know, in the 80s. He could fire them. These people could lose their job. At the same time, if you fired all the TSA workers, what you're going to do is you're going to make well, I mean, if, if you think going through an airport now is a nightmare, imagine if you had all new TSA workers or something like that, if you could even find them. I, I guess here is my point, and here is my question. If the federal workers who are required now to come in and work without pay, if they were to simply say, no, we're not going to do that. And we understand the ramifications are we might all be able to be fired or something, but we're not going to do that because we think this is not right. If that were to happen, would you support the federal workers or do you think that they should be fired for refusing to show up and working without pay? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If federal workers, if all of a sudden you have... 15 or 20 percent of the TSA workers, if they suddenly decide we're not coming into work, we're going to call in sick, etc., etc., we're not going to show up. All right. Should the government fire them? Or would this be one where maybe this is what we need to do to get this thing settled? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twenty, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, the the law, the law says federal workers do not have a right to strike as a general rule. So a concerted job action, like when the air traffic controllers went on strike, that was a basis for President Reagan to fire him. Said, "You go back to work, or you're, you're going to be fired." Now, in this particular case, nobody's talking about a, a strike per se, but you've got federal employees who are expected to come in and work without being paid. My question is, if you have workers that decide we're not going to do this, all right, should they be fired? Is it fair to fire somebody for saying, I, I, I know I'm supposed to come to work, but if you're not going to pay me, I'm not going to work? 414-799-1620. Jim in Plymouth. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. First what? of all, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. These people are going to be paid. Yes. Don't tell me they're not going to be paid. They're going to get paid, correct? Yeah, yeah, they're not being paid, but yes, at some point right. in time, they're going to get paid. At some yep. point in time, they'll get paid. So when they take these jobs, I'm sure that they're aware of that this is a possibility that it could be a shutdown and this could happen. So they know about this in advance, right? Do you think, but see, that, I don't know. I mean, do you, I, I guess I have to tell you, and this is from my perspective, you know, I, I worked for the federal government for about 12 years. I, I will tell you, it never really crossed my mind one way or the other that I could be expected to work for a few months without being paid. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I just, I think a lot of people just don't think about it because you think there, there's no real, in the real world, this isn't going to happen. But it is happening now, of course. Well, you should be aware of it if you're not, at least in my opinion. Okay. So they should be, it's a good way to weed out the bad worker. You know, you have options, take a different job somewhere else, 
if you don't like this uh oh, well let me I, stop let me stop you there jim okay if are you a bad are, are you a bad worker if you're expected if if your employer is saying hey i, I want you to work but i, I can't pay you right now I, i'm going to pay you at some point in time but I don't know if it's going to be this week or next week or a month from now or two months from now. And, and you decide, well, I, I, that, that's, a, that's an intolerable condition. Does that make you a bad worker? It does if, as I believe, they knew ahead of time that this was a possibility that it could happen. And okay. I honestly believe they know that this is a possibility when they take those jobs. Okay. I really do. Okay, no, th- thanks for calling. I, I, I will, again, I'm 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess, I, do you know it is a, I, I, I will tell you, and this is just my, 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 this is from the perspective of somebody who was a federal employee for, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, however long I, I worked for the federal government as an intern and then as an attorney. I, did I, in the back of my mind, did I always know that there was a possibility that there could be a, a government shutdown and that you, if you weren't, and I, I was considered an essential employee, so that you would be expected to come into work? Yeah, I, I guess I, I knew that, but you, you never, th- that's not something that you really thought of on a, on a daily sort of basis. And at least historically, even if there have been government shutdowns, those government shutdowns have been a couple days. I mean, here, this is the longest one, and there doesn't appear to be, you know, any end in sight. And I will tell you, I don't think there's too many federal employees who say, hey, when I take this job, gee, I I really considered and evaluated the fact that I might be expected to come into work and work for weeks or or maybe months. I mean, who knows how long this is going to take without being paid, which is why... I really do think Congress and the president, regardless of how you when you're making people come in, I'm not I, I see the furloughed workers, the folks who aren't working as different than the ones that are expected to work. If you're expected to work, I think you have a right and you should be getting getting paid for doing that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Ryan in Milwaukee. Ryan, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Real well, thank you, sir. Uh, well, I'm a federal employee and I'm not getting paid. Yeah. Are you are you is, are you working or are you on layoff? Uh, I'm working. Okay, so you are an essential are, employee. Okay, correct. We are told we have to come to work, um, and yes, the previous caller was correct. We will get paid, but we don't know when. And never once, under any impression, when I was hired, was I told there's a possibility you won't get paid. Right. For, for, I mean, now, maybe in the back schedule. of your mind, you, you'd heard in the past that, hey, there, you know, there have been shutdowns and, and maybe for a couple of days. But I, I'm willing to bet and you're in the same boat I had. I, it never occurred to me when I was working for the federal government that you might be expected to go a month or two months or three months or whatever without being paid in a timely fashion. Yeah, it's one. I mean, it's one thing to know you're getting back pay. If, if we, we knew a date, you know, you're going to get paid in three weeks. But if this goes on a month or two months, you know, people have child care, mortgages, you don't know when you're getting paid. So how do you differentiate which bills you're going to pay and what you're not going to pay? Let me ask you this, Ryan. What What is – I assume that you're working with a number of other people who are essential employees and they're in not being paid. What's, what's the morale like right now? Not good. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of unknown. I mean, nobody – you just don't know. You know, everybody goes to work and they do their job, but you don't know when you're going to get – when you're going to get paid, like I said, you know, would you do you pay your mortgage this month, or do you pay the daycare bill? Do you go to work, or do you stay home and not pay the daycare bill? It's 
some people, so we're, some we're people kind of with no options. Some people who who call in occasionally say, "Well, th- this shouldn't be a big deal." You know, what's what's the problem with having to to go a couple weeks without a paycheck? You've got good jobs. I mean, I mean, what is the real world impact on, on guys like yourself and your coworkers? It's it's not it's not the fact of going without a paycheck for a week or two. It's like I said, it's the unknown of when it's going to come. I mean, you don't know. If it's a week or two, okay, fine, no big deal. It's a, it's just not very fun. But if it's a month or two months, you know, you have people are paying daycare to go to work, and they're paying money out of their pocket when nothing's coming in. You know, you're putting gas in your car to go to work. You got insurance payments. You got mortgage. You know, car insurance comes every six months. Maybe you got your car insurance payment coming up this month. Do I pay it or do I wait to see when I'm going to get paid? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the unknown is the most, the most frustrating part about it. If if this goes on longer or much longer or whatever, what do you think the effect is going to be? Do you think people are just going to look and try to find other jobs, or do you think everybody's going to stick it out? Uh, I, I, at some point, somebody we have to find other jobs. I mean, at some point, I'm sure there's people who are going to have to walk into the boss's office and say, hey, I can't come to work until I get paid. i got to find other employment to feed my family mm-hmm. or you know, pay my mortgage. We, you know, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have to be good put behind on bills and face higher interest or late payments because of, you know, something politicians can't figure out. Right. Thanks, Nicole. And I appreciate the perspective. And I actually, I I agree with you. I mean, again, if it's one thing if you want to shut down the federal government and you want to say, okay, we're we're going to put everybody on furlough, don't come in, don't work. All right. I, I get that. That's one issue. But but to expect people to work that's that's where I have the issue to expect people to work and not provide them pay in a timely fashion. That's my issue, and I appreciate your perspective, Ryan. Two twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this this is not surprising. The breaking news story that Tony was talking about is uh, U.S. District Judge James Peterson, who is a very liberal federal judge sitting in Madison, who had previously struck down various limits on early voting that the legislature put into place. Um, He's just announced that he's striking down the new limits on early voting that the legislature put in place during the lame duck session. Uh, This is not a a surprise. I think it was pretty clear all along that this is how this particular judge views the law. Um, With all due respect to Judge Peterson, I think he's just dead wrong on this. I think he was dead wrong when he issued his ruling a while back, and I think he's dead wrong on this. Interestingly enough, his his initial rulings were appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit, and they've been they've been wait. It's been over a year, I believe, since the the case was argued, and it it's one of those things where I think people are expecting a decision because ultimately. When, when you talk about, you know, what the limits, can, can you put limits on early voting, et cetera, et cetera, that, that's ultimately, candidly, I, I don't think it's it's close. I don't think there's a constitutional right to be able to, to, to vote early six weeks in advance or 12 weeks or in advance. I, I just, I, I think the judge is just completely wrong on this. But the, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals is hearing the case. Once they come down with a ruling, I mean, I have no doubt that that ruling is going to go to the to the U.S. Court of Appeals. What the Republicans did in the legislature is during this lame duck session, they kind of, without, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on the early voting stuff, but they sort of tweaked the law 
to address at least a couple of the concerns that Judge Peterson had, even though, again, I, I believe the law is ultimately going to be found to be constitutional. But that, that tweaking, no surprise, wasn't enough to satisfy him, so he's now struck those down. Uh, it, it's not going to end here. Like I say, ultimately, the Court of Appeals, and presumably at some point in time, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear this case. My prediction is, and you can go broke trying to predict what, the Supreme Court's going to do or what Court of Appeals are going to do. My prediction is at the end of the day, the the limits on early voting to the extent that you want to define them as limits put in place by the Republicans are going to be upheld. I think ultimately this federal judge is going to be found to be wrong. But again, time will tell on that. All right. As long as we're talking about government employees, this is something that we, we've discussed o- over the years. I don't know. Can I see a show of hands? You ever been to a prison? Gru, you ever been to a prison? You have never been to a prison. You ever been in prison, Gru? No, you've never been in prison. You've never been to a prison. All right. I have never been I have never been in prison as a as a guest. I have visited more than my share of prisons. Back in another life, you know, occasionally you'd have to go talk to people who were going to be witnesses at trials, and occasionally you would end up in prisons. I have been in federal prisons. I have been in state prisons. And let me tell you something. I don't want to go back. I didn't want to go there in the first place, and I sure don't don't want to go go back. And, you know, this is from my perspective as, okay, I'm in the U.S. Attorney's Office. I'm driving up to the federal prison in uh, Oxford and, you know, outside of um, – you know, in, in the, like the Boston area, I'm going to, I'm going to that, or I'm going to Wapan or whatever. Those days, even knowing that I was going to go in there, I, I, I just, I dreaded them. I mean, it was like, oh, I got to go up there, and I've got, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm in my suit. I'm with the U.S. Attorney's Office. I've got my badge and stuff, and you know, and they're, they're going to let me in, and they're going to actually treat me a little bit differently than they do, like even some of the other visitors, because uh, again, you know, I'm a prosecutor. I'm there to interview some witness or something. But it wasn't a pleasant experience. I didn't like being in the the prison, even as a visitor. You know what I would have liked even less as than as a visitor. And besides being an inmate, it would be as as an employee. I I can't imagine what it's like to go to work every day and know that you're 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 going to be a, a you're going to be a a, a jailer. You know, in one of you're going to be a guard or a jailer, whatever you want to call it. You're you're working because here's one of the big myths in Wisconsin. There's people that think that oh, everybody that goes to prison doesn't deserve to be there, and there are all these wonderful little. They got caught for selling a couple joints. That's not the truth. The reality is, as I've said before, you got to work to get yourself thrown into prison. You you do, and the people that are behind bars are the worst of the worst. They're either really really dangerous people who have done really bad stuff to get them put behind bars or they're perpetual criminals who just continue to commit crime after crime after crime regardless it is not a desirable bunch of people and it's not the working conditions so they're going to they're 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 going to suck that's just the reality of it i mean you are there watching over people that do not belong in regular society imagine that knowing that at least a certain percentage of them are extremely dangerous dangerous to each other and dangerous to you and your coworkers if you get a chance to do it and then you've got some who are semi psychotic for whom the, the the rules of society and what would typically be accepted as, as social norms 
don't apply to them or they don't care about them. And I could tell you all sorts of gross things, but just imagine all sorts of gross behavior that somebody could engage in. And that's the type of stuff that goes on in these prisons. And you as a prison guard daily, you go in and you have to deal with that. All right. So it's it's not a pleasant work environment and it's tough to find people now in Wisconsin and this has been an ongoing problem for a number of years they have a huge number of, of vacancies there is an estimate that at one point last year almost as many as 20 percent of the jobs in prisons state prison system went unfilled the starting salary right now starting salary is it's going to be going up to sixteen dollars and sixty five cents an hour Sixteen sixty-five. That's up almost ten percent in the last you know couple years. But even so, you have these huge vacancy numbers of vacancies that are there. What that's doing is it's leading towards because you have to have guards. I mean, you you know you got to have people that are in there. So if you don't have people that are filling regular shifts, what do you have to do? Well, you have to offer overtime to the people that are working. And sometimes, in many cases, it's mandatory overtime. But you've had these stories about prison guards, in some cases, who, because they work a whole bunch of overtime, walk away with more money than the chief judge of the state Supreme Court or more money than the governor because they're working all these different hours. And the story is that last year, 2018, overtime at Wisconsin prisons topped $50 million. This is this is overtime, topped $50 million. Um, that was up, let's see, in 2016, it was $43.1 million. So that's a 17% increase in, in two years. It, it's money being spent time and a half because you can't get people to do the jobs. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of the other problems is that in a number of counties, you know, the counties hire the sheriffs and the sheriff's deputies and all, and one of the assignments that a lot of, like the counties have, is you've got to maintain your own jail. And in many cases, what happens is the counties pay their beginning employers, the employees, their jailers, they pay them more than the state pays them. So I throw this out there as an open-ended question, 414-799-1620, because this is a problem, and it's something that, candidly, the Walker administration never got a handle on. That That's just the reality. Never got a good handle on it, but now it's Tony Evers' problem, right? What What do you do? How do we get more people willing to work in the prison system? $16.65, is that enough? Uh, should it be enough? It's an extremely difficult and, I'm going to argue, undesirable job. Really bad working conditions. And I understand there's lots of people that have crappy jobs and crappy working conditions. But, you know, imagine daily you're dealing with the scum of the earth. You're dealing with the most dangerous people around. Can you continue to pay overtime what can you do? What can be done to get more people into this? Now, I've got a theory I'll share with you, but I want to hear your reaction because you, you can't continue to pay $50 million in overtime. That's that's just peeing money away. You need to get more people in doing these jobs. How do you think you do it? 414-799-1620. And by the way, there's also all sort. you can't just take anybody off the street. You know, you got to do background checks. You can't put somebody 
um, who's got a criminal record or a criminal background, you can't put them in there. All right, we discuss in just a minute. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two forty-eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, prison guards, state prison guards, collected over fifty million dollars in overtime last year. The problem is, there, there's in some prisons the vacancy rate is about twenty percent that they can't fill the jobs, and so existing employees have to work longer hours. That's not good for a lot of reasons. First of all, you're talking time and a half, so it's expensive. Secondly, it puts stress on on people, and it's it's a very, very difficult job. So what do we need to do to change this? Damien in Sheboygan. Damien, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Well, it's kind of not just in the prisons. I work here in the county, and we're kind of having the same situation, that um, there's just nobody that wants to do this job, and that's just not corrections. It's fire and police also mm-hmm mm-hmm the so I, you know so what's the answer more money would that change for, the dynamic for state, for state corrections you know money is going to be what's drawing people because we've actually had some guys do lateral transfers to our county right just because it's a five dollar raise for them right and a lot of times better better working conditions in that being in the county jails you're not dealing on a daily basis a lot of times with as dangerous a type of inmate as you are at like a maximum security place. Well, that's not totally true because the people in the state prisons have already known, they already know their, their sentence. Mm-hmm. So they, they've accepted the fact of whatever yeah. they got in, in the courts. But in the county jail, some of these guys are sitting here for six months to a year unknown what their sentence is going to be. Right. So sometimes the unknown is worse than knowing what you already got. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that any of them is a great environment. I, I mean, well, I, I, no, I, I understand. I understand, it's a, I'm just, yeah. I understand yeah. it's a tough job. So, okay, so you are the, let, let's say you're the king, and you're trying to figure out how to deal with this issue, get more people doing it. What What, what is the answer? Ultimately, it's, it's going to be the, the wage, you yeah. know, the cost of uh, hiring somebody. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, you know, I mean, it, it's a very, it's a very unknown environment. You know, you do see it on TV. You know, with some of these, you know, prison shows and what have you. Right. Like you said earlier, that it's it's a very negative environment. Oh yeah. It really changes a lot of people, um, and you're you're never thanked for what you do. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's oh. Very thankless. You know, because oh. we're all behind closed doors. So. Oh yeah. No, know, I mean. Ultimately. Ultimately, you know, it's going to be the wage is what's going to bring people. Right, and it has to be enough. No, no, thanks to call. You know, I mean, I, I, I get that. I um, At one point in another life, somebody once asked me, Jeff, would you have any interest in, in being the secretary of the Department of Corrections? And it, it, it was just kind of like a really, 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 really preliminary thing a long time ago. And, and my first reaction was, well, to your, to your point, no, because first of all, what a thankless job. Nobody ever tells you you're doing a good job. What, the, the, you just, you, you're just waiting for that phone to ring at two o'clock in the morning and somebody says, okay, well, we've just had a prison riot or somebody's just killed somebody else or you just had a, I mean, no, I mean, it's, I've always appreciated what a difficult job that is. But at the same time, all right, Governor Walker, this is an area, if you want to criticize him, I don't think they ever got a handle on this. So what does Tony Evers do? What does he need to do? Zach and Fond du Lac. Zach, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. You know, and I, I understand that, you know, currently the 
the employment situation is in the benefit of the employees everywhere. I mean, jobs are everywhere. Right. Um, but by saying the Walker administration didn't get a hand on it, I don't think that's totally true. I think the Walker administration is part of what the problem is. When Act 10 went through and stripped away these benefits, and there was a lot of benefits, you now pay higher health insurance, the retirement is good, there is no collective bargaining. It, it took a lot away from this job. So now you're offering this job in a very dangerous situation with working with not so nice people for $16 an hour, where currently, if you turn on your TV, there is a distribution center in Milwaukee offering starting jobs at $19 an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, granted, I may have to lift some boxes for, you know, 20 pounds or whatever for eight hours, but Nobody you don't have you, right, yeah you don't have, you don't have to worry about some inmate throwing feces at you for example Correct. yeah Correct. you know so I think it's not just yeah we need to make it a competitive wage where it's an attractive position but those benefits need to come back if you're going to put 25 years in the system going every day for at least eight hours to a place where we send people to punish them. There's got to be a reward. There's got to be a reason why you're doing it. If it's a, a better retirement or or, you know, the health insurance or some sort of benefit plus the wage. Thanks for the call. I, I appreciate this. And I look, and, and, and I understand. I know there's some people that are kind of rolling their eyes. All of these are these state employees. I think that when it, these, these state employees that want more and more and more, this is, this is a unique type of job that it's, it takes a unique type of person to do it. And again, keep in mind there, there, there is, you can't just, this is one of the things that also makes it difficult. You can't just take anybody off the street because, not everybody's going to be able to do the job, and you also, I mean, you need to have background checks and all. I mean, you, you can't you can't have somebody who's criminally inclined themselves and put them in a situation like this because then then it's just kind of Katie bar the door on this. Christine in Brookfield. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Uh, unfortunately, I've had, um, I guess you would say, experience. I have had to visit a family member in Tachita and also in Winnebago, and going even to visit was such a hard experience, let alone I cannot imagine working there. Mm -hmm. I think that, and I've witnessed a lot of things that I have never seen before. Right. (laughs) Um, So I think it's not only the salary. Um, You know, I think if we're spending whatever... Um, in overtime, even if we could cut that in half and increase their pay. But I also think you have to understand, like, yeah, they're going there and it's their job, but really they're locked up for eight hours a day with, with these people. Oh, yeah, and, no. Yeah, no, Chris. Yeah, no, Chris. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm kind of up against the clock here. I got to make way for John. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, look. I wake up almost every morning. I love what I do for a living. I wake up almost every morning and say, "Hey, this is great. I get to come into this radio station and I get to talk to you on on, on the radio." I look forward to coming to work. I know that sounds silly, but I do. I don't know that there's too many people that are working as guards in Wisconsin prisons or jailers in county jails who say, oh, this is great. I, I get to go and be behind bars with a bunch of people. This is something I, I, I do. I think it starts with increasing the starting wage. It's got to be competitive. And I understand that nobody likes to spend money, but you can't spend $50 million in overtime year after year after year. It's 2.55. When we come back, we'll find out what John has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.